Welcome to Talkin' Tina, the Antifada side project about the history and contemporary politics of Latin America. Today, we're talking Colombia, not the Ivy League University whose halls Jamie Peck once graced, nor the stylish sportswear brand, but the South American nation, famous for its ethnic and biodiversity, folk music, and long history of brutal parastate repression. For the last several years, Colombia has engaged in a so-called peace process between the military and its largest guerrilla group. But many believe the FARC's transition to civic life has only opened the doors to neoliberal expansion, especially into indigenous regions, along with paramilitary assaults on social movement activists. According to the Institute for Studies in Development and Peace, there has been 124 massacres between 2020 and 2021, involving 300 victims, with more than 1,000 activists murdered since the Accords. These atrocities under the regime of far-right President Ivan Duque are getting fresh attention over the past year, as the economic effects of the pandemic have affected already one of South America's poorest countries. Earlier this year, Duque proposed a new tax on consumer goods, which of course is a regressive tax disproportionately affecting the poor population already struggling against booming unemployment. A series of nationwide strikes against the tax and austerity called for late April turned out to be far more massive than anyone had predicted, leading Duque to sick his riot police, the SMAD, on the population, leading to dozens of deaths, disappearances, countless beatings, and sexual assaults. Joining us today to tell us about the struggle of the past month, years, and what's to come is Santi from the Congreso del Pueblo, the Congress of the People. Thanks for joining us. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization? Thanks, Andy. Uh, well, uh, of course, I'm a human rights activist at the National Commission of Human Rights of the Congress of the People. We are a decentralized grassroots organization all around the country. We use uh, we work as a platform for different movements, uh, feminist movements, indigenous movements, Afro-Colombian movements, and of course the movements in the city for the struggles of uh, housing. Uh, the Congress of the People uh, aim to build a politic for the for a life uh, with dignity and that life recognized in the communities and the grassroots organizations, the foundations of uh, this proposal. It isn't uh, a proposal to take the power, it's to build the power, a popular power, the self-organization and self-determination of the life. And in that uh, idea, in that path, we have built a series of commitments with ourselves, with our communities, that's uh, all a part of the institutionality. We, of course, we talk with the institutions and we go to elections and that, all the kind of stuff. But the core of our project, it's the grassroots organization to build from the territories, to build from these realities, from the things that the people uh, experience in their quotidian life as a way to solve in a practical way the problems of uh, of the production, the problems of the community, the problems, even the problems to keep us alive in this, in this context is, um, it's, it may sound weird, 
that uh, initiatives of self-protection, it's our main strategy of human rights. Uh, despite we used uh, all the, the regular ways and the legal ways to try to protect uh, our life and our integrity, is the self-protection uh, in Guardias Campesinas and the indigenous guards, guards what uh, made possible that this project exists. Yeah, I was looking into the group, and um, I, I don't know if this will mean anything to you, but to me it seems something like the what, what we have in the United States, the DSA, the Democrat Socialists of America, but much more uh, constitutive of or integrated with the, the various popular and social movements uh, in Colombia. Yes. It, well, it, it has the, their similarities, but it's the, the diversity, uh, our main characteristic. We work as the WIPALA, uh, as the, the, the unity in the diversity. Pluribus, it might be the most closed concept that we may. Um, and, and why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I think you live in uh, you in Bogota, is that right? Yes, I am right now in, in Bogota. I'm a lawyer. I'm a human rights lawyer. Okay. And we make the defense of uh, political prisoners and uh, victims of the abuse of the criminal law system. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, talking about Colombian history, there's no shortage of, of, of topics to, to talk about. Um, uh, but let's just get started with what's happened in just the last week or so. Uh, I, I summarized it a little bit, um, and uh, you might not be aware of this, but in, in the United States, a lot of uh, activists or, um, or maybe leftists are beginning to, to look at what's happening in Colombia for the first time, probably since the, the plebiscite. Um, so why don't you describe uh, what's gone on and, and the broader significance of it? Well, uh, to describe it, I, I guess the historical approach, it's quite necessary. In Colombia, the genocide, it's like the, the element uh, to galvanize the changes on uh, political and economical changes. It's a part of the history. Uh, liberal changes are preceded by massacres. When uh, when Edith starts all, all, all this about uh, the escalation, the massive escalation that uh, required uh, great infrastructure as highways and bridges and harbors, when all all this infrastructure was required to intensify the exploitation of the country of raw materials the consequence the side effect or not even the side effect the element required to materialize to materialize all these projects it was the genocide of indigenous people of the black people and of course the destruction of the kind of life of the farmers so what's happening now it's a typical expression of the state trying to consolidate themselves and their project, the economical project uh, into society. So when they try to implement these uh, changes recommended by the OGDE, uh, the Cooperation Organization and Development, uh, when they make this uh, tax reform, they point to make deep the financial dependence of the country 
of foreign capital. And these changes has, uh, of course, as consequence, the uprising of the people that already was in crisis. So if the traditional answer of the government was to try to genocide those who oppose to this project, uh, this time it's not different. Maybe what's changing it's uh, the the presence, the the open violence. You may say in in the cities, there's no an intention to hide what is happening. So it just happened at plain sight: the police brutality, the summary executions, the arbitrary retentions, and all happened uh, at plain sight, the, the middle of the day. So it's just. Uh, I guess it's finally the honest expression of what the what the government has been doing on these isolated regions, but now in the cities. Well, the, the first thing that I heard about it was uh, early on May 1st, on May Day, I, I heard about 19 people being killed in Cali, Colombia, which is very close to the, the Cauca region where there's a lot of the indigenous struggle going on. Uh, and I was... I was under the impression that they had open fire on a demonstration or something like that, but um, I had also read that they sort of, the police laid siege to certain popular neighborhoods and uh, assassinated certain targets. What, what exactly happened with these extrajudicial killings in, in Cali and, and elsewhere in the country? Well, uh, in Cali, what's happening now, it, it has their precedent on the April 21 of the last year, when it was called the national strike against the non-implementation of peace process, but also to the changes on uh, the uh, public labor policy. So there is, it starts uh, a few years ago, but, and there was all, uh, all this civil organization, all these people that organized themselves to resist the action of uh, a public force that uh, behaves themselves as an occupation armies on these territories. So the first answer was the SMAT, that's the anti-riot, especially, especially police uh, of the regime. Uh, they use uh, pretend non-lethal weapons, but when the people through their organized action resist effectively, to these non-lethal strategies, so they change their strategies for a coordinated operation of uh, intelligence and uh, undercover actions against the people who was in the demonstrations. So it starts uh, a well-known phenomenon uh, as paramilitarism in Colombia, paramilitarismo, and of some kind of random killings and selective killings killings against the leaders of the demonstrations. Then when the, when the demonstration just grew up, uh, the answer was massive. So indeed they opened fire. The army and the police opened fire against the people who was on the streets, the people that they can't uh, repress through the traditional resources, they try attempt uh, to kill them. But there was also an answer of the indigenous movement who call all the their guards, the indigenous guard, to the city of, of Cali, especially to these uh, popular neighborhoods. So they came, they came from the, the other regions of the Cauca, 
to support the people who was resisting in Cali, uh, it's it's very important to know that the indigenous guard doesn't use weapons. They use uh, sticks that are called bastones de mando. And it's a, it's a pacific resistance movement and, and non-violent resistance movement, but indeed uh, they involve in the clashes and protect the people in the clashes and protect the people of the tear gases and keep organized the, the communities. Um, even th they protect the, the locals from the instigated losing of, of the police. The police inst instigate uh, some people to loot in, uh, in, this, in, in these communities to generate some kind of uh, reject of the community to, to the riot and the, to the strikes and the people who is, in the who is at the demonstration. So in Cali, we have a, a very, how to call it, it's, it's an, a dangerous scenario where they have to start to apply a massive censorship, even on the internet, the last two days was uh, shut down. And the, the, the things, the like, the, the energy supply was also shut down uh, from some neighborhoods in, in Cali. And all, all this scenario of repression, it's pretty terrifying because uh, it, it's not only the people who's been shot. At this moment, we have 34 people dead by the, the bullets of the police. But also, we have 139 people disappear during these demonstrations. So we're facing uh, an open uh, fascist strategy of the government to suppress any kind of opposition in the country, in the streets, and on the fields. It's the traditional uh, strategy of a dictatorship but in the frame of a weak democracy or whatever it's we can call this that's happening right now, even uh, with the alignment of the different powers, the justice, the, uh, the public ministry, and uh, even the, these uh, institutions created to control the main government has just made a they just are aside of the decisions of the government. They decide to marginalize themselves from these decisions and let them just happen in plain sight. Yeah, it's it's a really terrifying. And um, you know, I've spent some time in Colombia, and disappearances were always a kind of a, a fact of political life. Um, I think uh, I, I had heard of a friend of a friend who was a student activist who just who disappeared, and he was just I think more or less kidnapped for a few days and then let go as kind of a warning. Um, so the, the idea of this happening all at once uh, indicates a kind of ramping up of that kind of, of that paramilitary repressive apparatus that's so strong throughout the country. And it comes at the heels of uh, uh, about a year ago, there was this major uprising in Bogota against uh, the police murder of Javier Ordonez. Um, so I, I'm under the impression that the, the, the Colombian people are kind of ready to rise up in, in maybe a similar way to what we saw in Bogota last year and Ecuador last year and in Chile and in Argentina to some extent as well. Um, 
do you think that there's a, a real fear from the government that they the, the their power structure might be in some jeopardy now? Or is this some kind of overreaction? There's a real fear. Uh, did, uh, to, I, I guess they are, they are afraid to lose the power, but they haven't realized that they already lost the power. The people is no longer afraid to face this government. And despite the dead people and despite the disappearance and despite the tortures, the people, it's they, they're just not getting back. They, they're pulling forward. Instead, they are just facing more and more people in the street. The dead doesn't afraid anymore. It's more a, a motive of anger to go out to uh, be part of, of, of the strike. The government has already lost. What, what it's uh, worrying about it, it's if the government uh, doesn't realize soon that they don't have the power to control this situation, they're about to commit a massacre. Mm-hmm. They need so much violence to repress the movement that is right now on the streets that they don't have option. If they don't make a, a dialogue, if they don't make a concession, if they don't obey the people, the only exit that the left is to, to kill the people. And it's a traditional exit in this country. So we are worried about that, that reality. But also it's that we don't have any option. And the people doesn't have any option different to the rise up. If, if you consider that there's no any kind of public aid to the impoverished people, during uh, the pandemic and the measures of public health that isolate the people in every house and w- without any kind of assistance, they are only enclosed in, in their homes, uh, waiting to some relative to death of COVID. So if that's a reality, well, the horizon, it doesn't sound so bad. No, if the possibility of uh, make yourself charge of the of the point where you're going to face the dead instead of dead of starvation it's it doesn't sound bad so that um, that's a, a very hard fight factor to to take in account if we don't consider the lack of social measures to mitigate the crisis uh, you can't just understand why the people are so angry yet, and it's all because the idea of uh, to preserve the, the economy, it's over the idea of the possibility of the people to live with dignity. So they work the whole week and they just get closed on the weekend. They are, it's a regime of only production. So that the people be angry, it's a logic answer to this uh, kind of, of life, if we can uh, call in that way. And also that the government at, make uh, a very, uh, I don't know, it's like a people can even maneuver to uh, tax the essential goods in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of uh, a massive anger about the abuses of the police. Because if we don't have any social policy, uh, what we can say that we have, it's a very structured model of 
of repression or the public health repression by the hands of the police. We don't have assistance on the social to face the crisis, but we have re repression to make uh, the guarantees, uh, to take guarantees of public health measures. I, I don't know if I explained that well. I read that there is there's some kind of social subsidy, uh, and the the taxes were uh, meant to to fund that. Um, what what kind of benefits have there been since the lockdown? Well, the the benefits to to the lockdown, uh, it's uh, that's uh, I guess it's fifty fifty dollars monthly to the most. Uh, to the poorest people who is uh, on one of the social pro programs that already exist before uh, the pandemic. That's the social measures and subsides to uh, contain the, the pandemic. But on the other hand, we have uh, subsides to the companies that, uh, that need uh, some kind of credit uh, to overcome the, the pandemic, to survive during the pandemic. So they aid the, they put aid on, uh, on companies, but on people, on the poor people, uh, also because the informal labor market of Colombia is the 80% of the labor market on Colombia. We are essentially a country of non-formal workers. And all this subside points out to the formal workers, mm -hmm. to those who have a, a specific kind of, of contract. Right. So it's a very narrow uh, spectrum of the population who can uh, receive this subsidy. And, uh, <laughs> and one uh, of another, and another problem about it, it's just not too narrow, but it's not the people who need most, needs most. And uh, so after the demonstrations on May 1st, uh, Duque did say he was going to rescind this tax and uh, I think aspects of the austerity. Um, how, how, what do you make of that concession uh, and, and how has the social movement responded? Well, the, the decision to, to withdraw the, the, the project of, of taxation was uh, you can say it, it was uh, a little tricky because the government first made the announce and wait almost a week to see what happened. But the project never was uh, actually withdrawn uh, of the Congress. The project just uh, still stood while they see what happened. So that 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 break the confidence of the people uh, on the measure. That the government was taken, so they make it the they take this decision uh, without the project, but it has a, a side back effect because make the idea on the people that the government is trying to cheat them. So uh, they effectively, effectively, uh, they withdraw the project a, a week later when the people decide to keep on demonstrations and to keep on the strike and to keep on the street and to barricade even more. So. <laughs> Uh, but but it's too late when they decide to make effectively uh, the to withdraw because the confidence of the, of the people and the government was already break. So this uh, this government has pleaded their 
their political capital, if you can call so, and they, they have no longer alternative different to go to repress. So it's a very difficult scenario because all the measures that uh, the people had conquered through uh, mobilizations, uh, it's been in some way tried to be annulated by uh, the act of the government. So without a, a goodwill disposition, if you, a, a decision to, to make honest acts uh, of goodwill, uh, there's no possibility that the government can confine this crisis. And what does Bogota look like today? Uh, are streets still barricaded? Are people still constantly going out? Are there still fights with the police? I, I don't know if if it's, it's able to hear right now. There's another demonstration like in 80, 80 points more in the city. You, you can hear so. It's the drums that sound in the background. It's not really but. Well, it's uh, one of the 18 demonstrations that are happening right now in the city. Uh, the clashes with the police are occurring more in the night uh, when the people decide not to, uh, not, to uh, how, how, not to obey the curfew mm-hmm. that has been imposed during uh, this week. I guess so after the curfew, it is start the clashes with the police. And there's a lot of, of demonstrations, cultural demonstrations, performance. Uh, they are making graffiti whole city, mm-hmm. announcing the massacre of, uh, of the government against, against the people. And also they are permanently uh, communicating and, and bombing. And, and right, sorry, not bombing. That, that's a graffiti expression. They are tagging. Yes, yeah. we have the expression bombing too, but good to... Bombing. Good to point out we're oh, talking about graffiti, not... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are bombing everywhere. Okay. Ciao, Duque goes out, okay. So there's a strong answer of the cultural movement also around all these strikes that reject the, the way that the government has been treating everything. Today we have demonstrations, we have blockades, and in the night, the most probable we have face a few clashes again. So uh, even in, in in Medellin and in Cali also, they are reporting permanently uh, some some demonstrations uh, right now. So the people doesn't seem to be intimidated and this doesn't seem to be confined soon. There's an attempt of dialogue right now of the government, but they call and other sectors of the establishment to try to confine the crisis. The crisis. They are not looking for a true dialogue. They don't want to change anything. So that's the scenario. Mm-hmm. The scenario of the people that have decided to <laughs> make the, the power of the people real and the, the scenario of the government that doesn't want to hear it. Yeah, I remember during the uprising in Bogota last year, I saw an incredible video of uh, people had taken over a police substation, I think, uh, in Parkway, which is like a hip neighborhood, um, and turned it into like a DJ booth, and there was just a, a rave outside. Um, <laughs> uh, but at the at the same time, of course, 
Um, a lot of Colombia is very right wing. They did vote down the the peace process plebiscite, and they voted Duque in, into office uh, in the last election. Um, and I I know that there's uh, incredibly widespread conspiracy theory that all of the riots are done by Venezuelan refugees who are really agents of Maduro and um, any kind of dissent is this socialist plot uh, from from Cuba and Venezuela. Uh, so um, what's the reaction to these uprisings like? Uh, I, I get the impression that a lot of the country really wants Duque to have a, a firmer hand and to, to kill and disappear even more people. Well, that's an idea of the massive media. And also it's a, it's a part to uh, divide the opinion of the people. But uh, what's happening right now is particular because uh, tra- sectors that traditionally have support the right are disconformed with this government. They, they just not opposed to the mobilization that they oppose to the losing, but not to the demonstrations. So it's a particular idea of this of this crisis. Of course, in Colombia, there's a an structure, parallel structure of repression called the paramilitarism that supports the far right politic, and they are active right now in every city. They are very close to the military intelligence. Not to say I'm not saying that they are military, uh, but uh, well, they are formed by militaries to make this uh, this kind of special works of repression. So uh, the people, this, this far right expressions has very troubles to being organized right now to express this uh, mostly because uh, most of these groups after uh, 2005 has dedicated to, to the narco traffic, to the drug dealer, and they have abandoned this uh, leading political project that was in the highest point with the pre, with the government of uh, Alvaro Uribe. So yes, we have a very, very right society, yes, but this expression doesn't have a, a political color and the theory of Maduro and Venezuela, it's completely discredited, discredited. especially, but that doesn't mean that the media doesn't insist on, the te- on that theory but the needs of the people are real, and <laughs> it's just so close to reality, it's, it's so material, the crisis, that the people doesn't have time to, to think about, about the influence of Maduro and, mm-hmm. and to believe that it could be true or Cuba in this, in this crisis. But what's uh, characteristic is also to, to find some uh, people that we can blame of all that that's happening. It's a way also to excuse the government for their negligence and for the abuses. But um, this conspiracy theorist uh, doesn't fit well to this moment. And the media, the massive media, it's in crisis with the narrative to uh, to name this, cri- this crisis. Uh, and uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to talk a little bit about the struggles of campesinos and in indigenous people. I, I remember reading that uh, uh, a lot of the the conflicts with the state in uh, the, the, the south of the country, the more rural areas, 
were about a, a new prohibition on coca farming, as well as new kind of land grabs in, in territories that might previously have been protected by the FARC. And in what way yeah. does, does that play into all of this? And what's uh, life like outside the cities? <laughs> you have made the right question. I know. It's, <laughs> it's a big country. <laughs> well, the land, it's a structural problem. The tenants of the land is a structural problem of the economic system in Colombia. 80% of productive lands are in the hands of the 10% of the population. So it's a country of landlords, and these landlords used to have a private army. So the conflict in these regions, it's a very different kind of conflict. When the FARC handed off the weapons, uh, they just uh, liberate territories to the open exploitation of multinational companies. But the life in, in these places, it was not regulated by the, by the guerrillas. It was regulated by the decision of communities. So when the change involves an, a new imposition of, a pro, of a economical project on these territories, what we have seen is deepest clashes between the ones who has most and the poorest people of the country that are the campesinos and the indigenous people and the black people. The lands where they were relegated, because that, that's a true, the productive land was captured by the landlords. And it produced a displacement of this, all these communities to uh, inside the, the wild. And now that land is preserved by them. And it has it's incredibly rich. They have gold, they have coltan, they have platino, they have oil. This land where they were relegated, it becomes very valuable to the model, to the extractionist model. And that makes just the conflict so much more deep in, in that region. The open air action of paramilitary groups to keep this land, to exploit this land. It's, it's one of the key factors on, the, uh, on this struggle. The lack of will of the government to implement the peace agreement in the point of distribution of land is related with the idea of a massive exploitation by multinational com companies on this state, on this, on, on this land. So in this moment, the, the conflict it's very sharp because there are so many actors involved it, moving at the, at the same time where the community is trying to rule their life, to take hand of, of their destinies right now under a pressure of armed groups. So if we, and every time there, there are less and less, there, there's a secondary guerrilla called the National Army Liberation. Liberation National Army, ELM, but it's a marginal actor now of the conflict. So the the clashes are focused on community against the army, against the paramilitary groups, against uh, drug dealers groups. So it's it's a very very particular effect, and 
in all this, there's also the decision of the government to change the regulation of the exploitation of the soil for these communities. So they have forbid the traditional mining of these communities and make illicit this mining. So the people can't, can't longer to take the reach of their own land. And that this conformity just add to the 13th of May, uh, a great traditional miners strike. They are calling to a strike. They are calling to able cash to manifestate against the government for this regulation on, on mining, against the traditional mine. So the government in this uh, ambition, in this to, how we call it, greed, in this creed, it's, it's their, I guess the word is creed, and they have just moved the whole, uh, the, the core of, of the campesinos, the core of the social movement, against <laughs> they, the, the government has made a strategy that they only think that has caused is that uh, campesinos, indigenous, and, uh, and black people, even the, the inhabitants of, of cities became against them. So the, the conflict tends to, we, we're, tends to increase uh, with the time. Uh, yeah. When when I I was saying that the government has already lost, uh, it it considers also all, all these movements that are actually active in the mobilization and demonstrations uh, against the government, but also all the sectors that uh, doesn't belong to the strike yet, but they are consider or have declared that they want to seem to add themselves to these strikes. Yeah. Is that your dog? Yes. <laughs> yeah, one one thing that I uh, was pretty surprised to learn when I went to Colombia uh, was, was, you know, in the United States, we, we hear about um, the, the narco trafficking uh, and the, like, dirty wars around drug trafficking. But really, m- the violence in the 90s and 2000s, almost all directed against indigenous people and trade unions and social movements, so uh, that's kind of like uh, the, the impression that we get in the United States of Colombia. But now I think it's it's starting to, to change a bit. The, the good news, at least, is that um, a lot of people I know are following what's going on and would like to help in some way. So uh, if, if we want to learn more in the United States, what kind of sources would you recommend? And then uh, is there anything we could do uh, materially besides just spreading information like we're doing now? Well, uh, of course, uh, in this, uh, the U.S. is the main allied of the military support, for military support in, in Colombia. We were asking for different social organizations to ban the military aid to Colombia. If the resources of the people of the U.S. is being used to massacre the people in Colombia to uh, exterminate unionized workers, indigenous and black people. Well, these resources are just a bad decision. If the military forces are acting as a political force, it's a political to, to pursue the political opposition in Colombia, it's, a, it's just a mistake and, and it's unethical 
to uh, support this kind of hate. So we uh, asked to the people of the United States to ban the, the resources for military aid to Colombia. That's a support that we definitely need. It's a guarantee of human rights or make conditions. Um, I don't know if, if it's possible to press the government, uh, of course, to communicate it's quite important, but uh, make pressure on, on the government to uh, suspend the, uh, the resources that goes for war in Colombia. And of course, uh, every time that they talk about the, the war on drugs, it appears Colombia as as a place to, to put resources to the war on, drug, on drugs, but it's necessary to change the, the focus of the of the war on drugs. It's it just not work. We keep the dead and the money goes out, and and uh, of course it, it it's a war that. With the traditional measure, it's impossible to win. So it's necessary to change the to focus the aim on, on these political discussions. But this is a practical measure the, from the human rights movement that we've been asking for during years since the time of the Plan Colombia. So that's a practical way to help us to pressure the government of the U.S. to uh, suspend the resources destined to war and to torture and force disappearance and selective killings. Are you aware of any groups in the United States who are spearheading that initiative? Yes. Yes, uh, we're aware. We only knew the news that some uh, people of the Congress has the plan, uh, has presented that initiative Oh, okay. We don't know the group. Yes. Oh, okay. Well, I'll, I'll look into that, and I'll try to put that in the, the show notes along with your organization, Congreso de los Pueblos. Um, and just finally, uh, w what are some of the slogans of the movement? And I'd like to close on uh, with a song that maybe represents the movement uh, today or, or last year. Um, what are some of the, the, the slogans and songs? A parar para avanzar, viva el paro nacional. Mm -hmm. Say that one more time. A parar para avanzar, uh -huh. viva el paro nacional. Okay. All right. Well, uh, enjoy your weekend. Thanks. It will be a very rough weekend, I guess. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I hope you stay safe and, and uh, all my solidarity to, to everybody, to, to yourself and, and everyone in the struggle. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Very important to us.